wrapped around each other, trying so hard to stay warm. That first cold winter together. Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to Hustle. Okay, business. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, write a review. Some of you are doing that, thank you. Find us at, at The Hustle Pod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, like our page. We'll communicate with you that way if you want. Send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com with any recommendations, people you'd like me to talk, track down and talk to. All right, thank you for that. Now, this week, you may think we're taking a little bit of departure with this week's guest, Bertie Higgins, but to me, it's all of one piece. I just, uh, I like all kinds of music. And um, anyone who I perceive to have kind of an interesting story and who may not be as, you know, heavily in the public eye is worth looking into. Birdie is the man behind one of the most beloved yacht rock classics of all time, Key Largo, that you're listening to right now. That song is a classic. And it's funny, I, um, you probably don't know this, but he's still huge in other parts of the world. And when I got, when he called in to talk to me for this interview, he said, uh, I said, well, so the focus of this podcast is to, uh, you know, find out how people maintain careers in music that haven't been heard from for a while. And he said, well, I don't think things aren't as bad as you think they are. And I was like, no, I know, I know they're not bad. I know they're still really big. I just don't think the common person probably knows that. And I think it would be really interesting to hear how you have maintained this 35 year career almost while be, still being huge and selling big tickets and everything, especially in Asia. So really interesting stuff. He's a great guy. Tells some really interesting stories. And at the very end of the interview, he gives a very impassioned kind of pep talk to anyone who's listening. I love it. He was a good dude and I'm really glad he talked to me. Actually, he did not call me from Florida. You would think Bertie Higgins would live in Florida. He called me from his home in Burbank, California. Sailing away to Key Largo Here's looking at you, kid Missing all the things we did We can find it once again I know Just like they did in Key Largo All right, Bertie Higgins, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on The Hustle. And I always kick these interviews off with a little story or an anecdote about how I how I discovered the artist. And you, very specifically, of course, Key Largo, I'm nine years old. It's one of my favorite songs. It's one of my mom's favorite songs. And I have a very distinct memory of that song because in 1982, it was the first time my parents took us to Hawaii. And your song and the Tide is High by Blondie both have this very island feel to them. And they were really big and popular at the time. So I always associate your song, which I still love to this day, with this first trip to Hawaii. And I remember, you probably remember this too, back in the day when you'd get on an airplane, you'd have those giant plastic headphones, and you'd look to the back of the airline magazine to find out what songs were being picked to be played on that station on the plane for that month. And I just associate Bertie Higgins and bands like Steely Dan or Melissa Manchester or that kind of great soft rock of that era with those wonderful days of being a little kid. My dad worked for an airline, so we flew around a lot. Anyway, I have such wonderful memories of you and that song and that period of my life. 
But I want to kick it off with a question that needs to be up front and out of the way now. How do you feel about the term yacht rock? Can we talk about? Can we use that term, or is it a bad term for you? I don't really care, man. That's fine. I mean, I I coined the phrase trop rock. I noticed. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of got it spread over yacht rock. It's all the same stuff. Grab a okay. boat, drink, and a girl in a bikini. Get out on your boat and have fun. <laughs> That's about it. Get it. Grab a boat, drink, and hit it. That's but it, I've been, right? I, I've been doing it a while, and um, but you know. My, I don't do it purposefully. That's where I grew up. I grew up on the Gulf Coast yeah. of Florida and lived there for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, I've been in Burbank for the last 10. So at any See, rate. This is, oh, yeah. No, go ahead. At any rate, it's uh, back my new CD. We're going after a Grammy Award for it for Best Contemporary Folk Album. And, is this uh, the uh, Cowboys and the Caribbean? Oh, no, or? no, no, no. That, that, I had three number one records off that in the U.K. and Europe. Oh, you're and, kidding. Uh, uh, it was, um, and that was last year. Yeah. Right now, I just uh, we just I just delivered my twentieth CD as a Chinese project with the biggest wow. label in China called, um, and the project is called "The World's Greatest Lover," which is kind of pretentious, <laughs> but you need to hear the song to understand it. Basically, it says, "I'm the world's greatest lover whenever I'm loving you." Sometimes you're just too pretty, and the way men look at you makes me wonder. Makes me worry, am I good enough for you? But then all of a sudden you stop me With that innocent look in your eyes And you touch me And you save me one more time And I know that I'm first CD is our Grammy Go. It's called Dancing with the Devil. And it's a song, uh, the songs, i debating between 15 or 16 songs. We've been in the studio in Nashville for the last month working on this. And I'm doing the vocals out here in Van Nuys. I do all the tracks in Nashville. Yeah. Because they're the best players. Not just country music, but everything. These guys are amazing. Yeah. But I've got a lot of older tunes and, that I've written. And That's great. A lot of dark See, is... smoking oh. marijuana. I mean... Really? This stuff. Love songs, uh, all tropical-based yeah. stuff. So I'm See, this, getting ready to deliver that CD in the next three weeks. We've been on the artwork. That's amazing. You, gotta, you know the the one thing about it, John? got to stay after it. You just yeah. can't stay back and expect some lame manager somewhere to make it all happen. No, no you got to hustle. In my entire career, it's been tough finding managers that are any good, much yeah. less booking agents. Sure. So we've done it all. We've we booked me. We've had some good agents. I've got a couple right now that are working hard. One internationally and one out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. We're working very hard. Wow. Um, but See, that's between, amazing. Between the royalties, I mean, Key, yeah. Key Largo goes on and on and on. It does. They're still making a great deal of money and writing royalties off that. So. Oh, and what's Key Largo? The biggest, my biggest hit internationally in the Pacific Rim is a song called Casablanca. Fell in love with you watching Casablanca 
Back row of the driving show in the flickering light Popcorn and cokes beneath the stars Became champagne and caviar Making love on a long hot summer's night that on another interview that I heard I was watching on YouTube and I went in and because you were saying that the the number of hits for Casablanca on YouTube were like three times as much as those for Key Largo and it's yeah it goes back to what you were saying and I'm talking about about in the millions I'm not talking about yeah oh I know I know millions of hits well first of all I mean ever (laughs) well it's just it's mind-blowing to me that I don't know you're still very top of mind, very much on the radar, current happening, a lot going on in other parts of the world. And that's kind of mind-blowing to me. Well, it's nothing I really did. It just happened several years ago in Japan is where it started. And when China opened uh, opened their doors, really opened their doors, well, they're still a little closed, but I love China. Casablanca became the number one karaoke song in all of mainland China. Oh, no way. So I've done several television shows over the last three years, and a couple of uh, nationwide tours are getting ready to go back December and January and tour over Christmas and New Year's. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah, you just do it. Well, you've got to want to do it. There's the problem. Sure. Sure. Uh, I was born with not a monkey on my back, but a gorilla on my back, and it won't Mm. let me go. I get up in the morning every every morning at 5.30 or 6, and I work for 12, 14 hours every day. Oh, man. Occasionally, I'll take a little time off and go up to upstairs and watch a, a movie at around 11 and, and, and come yeah. back at 1 and go back to work again. But we, you got to work hard, man. There's just no yeah. way around it if you want it. If right. you want to hang in there and make a living of what the good Lord gave you to do, yeah. then you got to stay after it. Well, something I find really interesting about you is that you were around for a long time before your first solo album in Key Largo came out. Yeah, with Tommy okay. Rowe. Sweet little Sheila, you know her if you see her. Blue eyes and a ponytail. Her cheeks are rosy, she looks a little nosy. Man, this little girl is fine. Never knew a girl like a little Sheila. Her name drives me insane. Little girl is fine. Me and she 
I, I, I was an overnight success, they said. Yeah, right, right. Not so overnight. Many, many overnights, right? So you've been in the business forever. I mean, did you did you know going back that music was your calling and that's where you were going to focus your life from then on out? I started off as a ventriloquist when I was 12 years old. Yeah, that's great. And I, and I would give shows for the Lions Club, the Elks Club, the, senior, uh, the high school assemblies at school. But then the drums kind of pulled me in, and um, I started off as a drummer. When I got to be about 19, I knew in my soul, in my gut, that I had to write songs. Picked up, my mother taught me a little bit on the ukulele when I was a young boy. And I picked up a guitar and started playing, and I started doing a single. And my great-grandfather, back from the late 1700s, as Gertrude the Poeter, wrote Faust. And I knew oh. that there was a stream DNA going down in my head that lyrics came very easily for me. Love wow. lyrics. I knew at about that time that I was locked toward the future, and I bloomed late. I blew, didn't bloom until I was 31 years old when I moved out of Florida into Atlanta, and within 18 months, I had the number one song in the nation. That's and that amazing. didn't just happen. That happened because of a lot of positive thinking, a lot of sure. sacrifice, because I, I garnered a great little following down in Tampa Bay, for instance. I'd do these uh, clubs on the beach and places with my little Martin guitar, and they were packed every night with people who would sit there quietly just to listen to the lyrics, to the songs yeah. that I was writing. But I knew in my heart I couldn't make it out of there. So Amazing. I moved to Atlanta. No one knew me up there, so I starved for a year. Yeah. And uh, But I had contacts from the days with Tommy Rowe. Yeah. I finally wow. wrote Largo. And we, uh, I, I used my road band to record it. We, didn't, we couldn't afford musicians. Oh, sure. And I borrowed $700 from my mother. And recorded it, and wow. we had I had offers to give it up because they said, Bert, you just don't sing good. But to tell you what, let me have it for Frank Stallone's new single. That was really you're going to give it to Frank Stallone. Of Sly's brother, of course, yeah. And then I went. He had that big hit from Staying Alive. Then I went to Joel Katz's office, who represents a lawyer in Atlanta that represents everybody. He represents Willie Merle, uh, Jimmy Buffett. The list goes on. And he had a little label called Cat Family, distributed by CBS Records out of New York. And I went in and I said, uh, "Here it is." He turned me down four times. Just, just don't sound like anybody. I said, "Well, I thought that was the idea, not to sound like anybody." Right. And he finally released a single to 5,000 stations, a uh, promo single. And it holds a record in Billboard, the only song to go number one. It started off with one FM reporter to Billboard. Wow. And that uh, was an amazing time to have. Yeah. That. So was Key Largo first? You wrote Key Largo. You got some acknowledgement and maybe a deal off of that. And then the rest of the Just Another Day in Paradise album came afterwards? Or did you provide the the album as a whole, and that single was selected. Out of no, no, that album. single was starting to crunch along in the charts. Okay. 
Lost a bullet at 72 in Billboard. That means you're moving on. Right. They panicked, got it back the following week. And it uh, was in the charts about 35 weeks. And we didn't have an album ready. And we were scrambling to get an album ready. Mm-hmm. We cut that first album in about a week at Pyramid Studios in Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, using Nashville players. I think the budget was around 30000 that uh, they gave us to do it with. And I'd written a lot of those songs prior. Yeah. Got the album out there, man. Yeah. And then, and then CBS became CBS Sony. And that's what made it work because of distribution worldwide. I mean, I was on tour in Saudi okay. Arabia, and I went to a record store in Iran, and my record's on the shelf. You Whoa. Go you go into Singapore, and your record's on the oh, shelf. But That's, that's got to blow your mind. Yeah. It was Sony distribution. Yeah. And now with Universal Music. With a small label, which pleases me greatly, because I'm sure. you become a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. And uh, they're really behind this rush to try to get a Grammy nomination, at least on this album. That's and great. And I've never pushed a damn hard record in my life as I have the last three months on this one. Yeah, good for you. So something I'm especially curious about is that you, Bertie, have a very distinct persona. You know? you. I mean, I would say 95% of your songs relate to Florida, the tropics, warm weather, you know, whatever. It's very it's all in keeping with a with an overall theme. And I find it really interesting that it appears that that theme was created right out of the box with the first album and never wavered. And and so I'm curious, did you go into your career thinking I'm going to I like easy listening, mellow soft, beautiful, strong songs. And I'm going to mine that vein for my whole career. I didn't do it purposely, man. It's just me. It's the way it is. Really? When I sit down to write something, it comes out. I like lyrics that touch your heart. My old goal as a songwriter, without purpose, was to reach as many people as I could to help change their lives, make them better. Sure. And And now it's worldwide. I mean, when I play these gigs in China, we did... So, you know, we did Beijing, and, you know, we do them all. And you walk out there, and there's a full hall of 5,000 crazy, screaming Chinese fans. Wow. And wow. I'm no chicken. And yeah. I go out there, and, and I did um, I did the Chinese Gala New Year's uh, television show two years ago. And mm-hmm. over a billion people watch it worldwide. It's, the biggest, it's the biggest television yeah. show in the world. When the Chinese do New Year's, they do it for 10 days of craziness. But I walk out on this stage, and there was 30,000 sitting in the Olympic Stadium. And I'm a little bitty guy by myself on this stage with my little guitar, <laughs> dressed in a Mandarin tuxedo, singing. Uh-huh. Uh, what was I singing? Um, when Will I See You Again, which has been a Chinese hit for me. And yeah. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, there's over a billion people watching you this moment. And I'm thinking, wow. Do you, you really belong out here? And then of, then, of course, I go, nah, not really, but... I'm going to go for it. <laughs> yeah, may as well, right? Yeah. Take it till you make it. So why do you think it is that you're still so big in uh, Asia? And it's, here, and to attach more to that question, I hear that a lot, actually. A lot of, like, the soft rock that I grew up on in the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of, like, Toto or Robbie Dupree or Stephen Bishop or those kinds of acts, you know, that almost verge on a little bit of jazz. The Asian market seems really open to that kind of genre, whereas America, I don't think that it, I don't think it's still as fresh, or they don't view it as being still as fresh. Why do you think that is? The 
Asian people are very passionate people. Hence the Harry Carey knife in the Japanese guy's chest when he's failed his family. Okay. They're very passionate people. They can read the passion, even though a lot of times they don't understand the lyric, but they can hear the passion in the voice. They love minor key songs. And I, I just wrote two new songs for this uh, Chinese CD, The World's Greatest Lover. One's called Come Home to China, and the other one's called The Silk Road. And they're just passionate people, man. They, um, huh. they have sensitivities that go deeper because they're very old civilizations. You know, yeah. uh, I think, sadly, the great American songbook is dead, as mm. cold as last year's Christmas turkey. Sure. Get those great songs. Uh, let's go with, um, I just wrote a song with Jeff Silbar, uh, not recently, in the last couple of years out here at Hollywood Hills, and he wrote The Wind Beneath My Wings. Oh, you don't wow. get those kind of songs, man. They just aren't out there. Yeah. Uh, it's just a shame because everything has gone. Uh, I hate to, for one of a bad rap. I mean, I it, it, it's almost like disco when it came mm. out. A lot of the songwriters mm-hmm. were like, but at least disco had a melody from time to time. Rap is, yeah. you know, and but uh, I don't know if we're going to see a resurgence in passionate songs. Yeah, I don't know. Every now and then one will pop up. Yeah. Every, every now and then one will pop up and shine out and stick its head above the clouds, but that's rare. Right. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I, so these, uh, oh, go ahead. I think what really worries is my people that like songs like mine, like Key Largo and stuff, are getting older. Yeah. They aren't buying product like they did when they were in their early 20s or, you know, uh, even in midlife. Right, right. And there's your crowd. Yeah, uh, there's your crowd. I do know that my boy, my eldest son, is the world's number one rave DJ. What? DJ really? Diesel boy. He's huge. Oh, that's your son? That's my son. No way. Yeah. 
Barely your break A lost soul A loaded weapon These empty shells They roll Hell the dark beckons My mind's vision Is a time bomb ticket It's my lifelong mission When the mic's all ripping I'm only human And none of the gun I'm buck wild This definition of living Is fucking hostile Cock the key back No time to sleep Black Ring your alarm When I drop by your speech stand The venue crumbles around us You know my trigger pointing We in the trenches And all of my soldiers Sweating wounds Ghetto technology Mixed with pain and poverty I'm from where the bottom Be raising the ball Follow me Fire the technique Break Bury the sound The rhythm serves Marks off Cocktail Swallow down Children of the next millennium Strap mentally strong Come on Into the new dawn A full chamber When I pierce Through the mind's teflon Come on Into the new dawn Breathe and bleed The beat Till we're dead and gone Come on Into the new dawn That next shit Time to innovate Detonate wrong they did it without, wow. They did it without my help. And yeah. But my younger boys, Aaron and Julian, are both in the film business, which they drug me into. I noticed that. I want to. I let's. I want to get into the movie stuff in a minute here. Let's. I want to. There's a ton I want to ask you about, and because you're, you're a multi. You got a lot going on, Bertie, and it's not just, like I said, the the naive, the people who just hear, Key Largo and assume that that's all. There's a lot of other stuff going on there. So, but back to the back to that other question. So, this the whole island kind of pirate, trop rock persona. That's just coming out of you naturally. That wasn't preconceived. That wasn't you know you didn't go into the beginning of your career thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go down this path. That's just naturally what came out of you. That in a lot of classic movies. Amazing. I know. You know what? Wow. When I was a young boy, I was convinced that I was born out of time. I was convinced at one time in my life I was a uh, a troubadour in England. I used to love to sing uh, for my girlfriends, you know, quietly. And because sure. I was just, a, it, was, it was almost stupid at times. I was so romantic about these things. And I still <laughs> write that way. Because, you know, I, I'm just... I'm just the instrument. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not the writer of this. Right. It goes through me from places. Maybe it's the Lord giving me the gift. Maybe. I hear that a lot. You know, I've talked to, you know, I've talked to probably 20 people now for this, for this podcast. And a lot of them say that same thing. You, you, you put in a ton of hard work so that it's just like anything else. You put in a ton of work so that you are prepared when opportunity arises. And in, in a songwriter's case, that's usually just kind of the muse or the Lord or whatever, just working its magic through you, and you become an instrument for it, right? Correct. Yeah, that's incredible. But you know, there's so, right now there's a part of me that writes a rock and roll song every now and then. Do you? Because that's what I want to ask you about. I mean, so I, like I said, I've been going back listening to as much Bertie Higgins as I can. I wanted to bone up on everything that I could before our interview and there are harder rocking songs but most of the most stuff kind of stays in the one vein like the tropics you know that's a that's a driving song so you've come to the tropics heard all you had to do was sit in the shade of a coconut plane the pesos roll into you they told you that at the border Get your direction straight Hear what it did to another kid Before you decide your fate I started out to be honest Ruin everything on the square But a boy can't fool with the golden moon The crowd 
I just but recut you, it for the for the folk album. You, you, yeah, yeah, I noticed. Without all the drums and strings and background vocals, it's very bare bones. The yeah. Tropics was a hell of an inspiration. But you know what? It was so fascinating to me. Uh, it's a long story. But you know what? Right as I was saying, I write a rock, rock song every day. And I just wrote yeah. Fireworks. Baby, show me how your fireworks. Oh, wow. And I'll show you how this rocket burns. It's okay. Sexual innuendo all the way through it. Yeah, Fireworks. It's on your new album. It's on the yeah. Cowboys of the Caribbean. And you know what? We do it live. And I do. I wrote one years ago called Jamaica Me Crazy, which is rock and roll. Thought I'd drink another red stripe. Thought I'd think about getting right But I forgot to forget about the moonlight And you A reckless island romance A sudden summer sun dance A Caribbean take a chance That just couldn't come true But you're making me crazy Jamaican me coconuts Jamaican me smile Jamaican me crazy Crazy as a loon Jamaican me crazy How you amaze me Hope you'll come, come back soon Hung out on the news The bottom line though is that the sensitivity is where I'm at coming from the Yeah, heart. yeah and even though I'm not a great vocalist, you can hear passion in the voice. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You've got your niche, and you work it well. And I got, I've got to give you props, Bertie, because you covered on your, on your, on the last album, Sammy John's "Early Morning Love." Don't it feel good, baby? You warm and giving in the morning when I. Make me glad I'm living Babe, this bed ain't gonna be made up oh, oh, oh. mm -hmm. And she gave me her early morning love Yeah, she gave me her early morning love Early morning love Sammy John, and I was so happy to hear that song on there. I thought, because he's kind of obscure. Talk about obscure. I just thought, oh, I'm so glad somebody else appreciates Sammy John's as much as I do. Well, he was a Bill Lowry product as well as me. Oh, was he? Okay. But, and and uh, Sammy was a good friend of mine until he passed away. Oh. But on the new album, <clears throat> there's 16, well, 15 or 16, I haven't decided, but trying to make that decision uh, this afternoon all day. Huh in front of my computer, mixing these songs. I do all my own mixing the you way do. I want them to go because I've been at it so long 
But I did a song on this new album that is heartbreaking. You need to listen to it. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a poem back in the mid-1800s. Uh, mid to late, later 1800s. Two years before he died, he knew he was dying. And he wrote a song called Crossing the Bar. And the bar is the sandbar that forms up off maybe 50, 60 yards off the beach from the waves crashing in. And there's deep water between the beach and the sandbar. Then you go up where you have a, maybe two feet of water that drops off into the dark blue deep. Huh. It's called Crossing the Bar. And I did a recording of it in Nashville, and it stunned me. Sunset, an evening star. One clear call for me And may there be no moaning of the bar When I put out to sea When I put out to sea When I put out to sea And may there be no moaning of the bar Twilight, an evening bell, and after that, the dark. May there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. And where I first heard it, PBS show called A Prairie Home Companion. Oh, sure, of course, yeah. And I was listening to Crossing the Bar. And I said, why in my career have I never heard this song? So it's on the new album. And plus it's got a a nautical theme. So one of the things that we we talk about on this podcast, and I always have to preface, I know that it's a sensitive topic, so you can be as specific or as vague as you want. But one of the things that we cover is money and how musicians make money. And again, we've, we've established now that even though you're, you, you have maintained a very vibrant career all of these years, let's say, for instance, you did nothing else but Key Largo. It sounded like, based on what you just said a minute ago, that you could have lived the rest of your life just off Key Largo royalties. Not There's really. Enough going Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, put my kids through school. A lot of good things. Plus, it really gave me the signature song from hell. I mean, good Lord. I mean, I, I get them to do Key Largo now, and I just watch the crowd go nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. At any rate, yeah. Uh, there's all sorts of little deals popping up all the time. I just had, yeah, Japan, I had Japan call me, Sony in Japan. I own my masters. And they said, we'd like to lease your master non-exclusive for X number of years for a compilation album we're doing here in Japan. I said, okay, what's your budget? And they gave me a budget. And I said, okay, I'll give it to you for this, X number of dollars. Uh-huh. Give me the contract and uh, wire the money into my account. And that's that stuff happens all wow. the time. The other thing, See, that's, too, that's that works. That's business stuff that regular people don't know about. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I can do two tours a year of the Pacific Rim, including China, and I have to work for two years. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, I'm not making zillions, but you go and do, say, sure. You say you go do eight concerts over two weeks. You pay the band, and you put $150,000 in your pocket and come home. Wow. 
you do two of those a year. Yeah. And look at it. I mean, I'm not living in yeah. the cheapest location in the world. Burbank's very expensive. Of course, yeah. And I miss Florida desperately, but my wife Beverly will not leave the boys here, her children, You know, even though they're 30 and 27. Oh, my gosh. I'm not leaving these kids. Yeah, it I'm, does seem strange to think that you. I'm calling you and you're in California, not Florida. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. But you know what? At least I'm closer to the salt water, and anybody that isn't is crazy. True. And you're closer to the Pacific Rim, where it sounds like you're going all the time because you're still you're super hot over there. It's only a 12-hour nonstop flight from LAX to Beijing. If oh, I were in Florida, wow. you'd add five hours to that. Yeah, yeah, true. So, see, this is, that's exactly the kind of information I wanted to know. So you book a couple of these shows a year. You, you're, you're big, so you know you're going to get the, the audience, and you can live off that for a while. And because you've built well, do you know up... What I don't, the, do you know what I don't do, John? I don't do that. I put it away. Well, no, clearly. I mean, you're still putting out all these albums, right? But, you know, there are rainy days. There are uh-huh. rainy years. But I never quit pushing. You know, I've got a couple, three shows coming up in Florida in October. I was just inducted into the Florida Music Hall of Fame, which I've got to perform on that in January. Wow. That's me, Jimmy Buffett, Julio Iglesias, and Tom Petty. I saw that, yeah. Which is pretty great. Yeah, uh, totally. And I'm going to the Georgia Music Hall of Fame Awards in September. It's a huge thing at the World Congress Center in Atlanta. The governor's yeah. there. And my producer, who died very about 15 years ago, Sonny, uh, he's being awarded posthumously uh, induction into the Hall of Fame, and I'll probably, hopefully, make that next year. But the Grammy, I am. Yeah. Be- looked at me today and says, Jesus, what are you doing, man? I said, I want this Grammy nomination. <laughs> Have you ever been nominated for a Grammy before? Sadly enough, 1981-82, there were six nominations for Best New Recording Act of the Year, and I came in at number six. Ah! Bummer. And that's oh, when I went man. to the label and said, could you guys have done something yeah. to push a little farther over the line? Oh, man. Oh, man. So I'm how not, often – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not sure the Grammys will make me any more money. I, I don't look at it that way. I don't do, no, I don't, no, no, no. I don't do what I do for money. I never have. No. At this point in your career, you've achieved so much. What's? I mean, that's like an icing on the cake. Some validation, right? Yeah, John. I'm, I'm convinced when I die, I'll slide 50 feet because I'll still be running. <laughs> so, Bertie, how often do you play shows in the States? Every chance I get. Do you? How often is that? I live in Denver, Colorado. I would go see you in a second, and I, I never get, I never know when you're here. I get a lot of requests to play out there, Red Rocks and all that. Yeah. I've never done it. Now, I've got these agents feverishly working for me every day, combining me with B.J. Thomas, combining me with the Bay City Rollers, combining me yeah. with whatever would work to go out and do a little tour. Now, what I have done, my band is normally six pieces, including me, with the girls sometimes eight pieces. Okay. What I have done is when I bought a new Martin guitar to play on the session for this folk album, and Mark Haliski, my keyboard player and conductor for 22 years, he and I are going to do some duos, smaller gigs, not big money, maybe three, four grand a night. Sure. And go out and do a bunch of these things, so that's how I started, man. We'll see. Interesting. Okay. We'll see. Well, I hope. Man, I hope. I'd love that. So, okay, I wanted to I, I want to talk a little bit more about the music, and then we got to get into this movie stuff. So, there is this great clip that you, I believe, put on Facebook of a segment from TM Magazine from like 1981 on right. YouTube, right? 
Right. That thing is glorious. Well, and I've girl, watched it a couple of times. The girl in that is my wife. One of the questions I had written down to ask you was if you were still with Beverly, because according to that story, she was the impetus or the inspiration for the Key Largo song in the first place. And you mentioned her name. You guys are still married? Well, we we uh, we split up for a while. Oh. We never got a divorce. And uh, we, we we got back together and been back together eight years. Oh, fascinating. That's great. So that is great. So we're looking at 33 years of marriage. Because, you know, God. love's a funny thing, man. I, I go with I go with instincts. I go with what I believe yeah. in my youth. That I've been married four times, so I don't know, man. It all, yeah. you know what? As long as you're reasonably sane and happy, and the lights are on over at the house, you got a jar of mustard in the refrigerator, <laughs> a car in the driveway, you're all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. worrying about it. Yeah. Just do That's what the Lord great. asks you to do, and if you don't, you're going to make him angry. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I'm thinking yeah. about I'm, th- I'm thinking about going back to the Catholic Church where I was I was an altar boy till I was 18. Now, so I want to ask you about that. I mean, you've mentioned the Lord, you've mentioned God. You sound religious. We don't have this is a minute, religious whoa, whoa. toned. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. You clarify. Uh, I am not a Bible thumper. Uh, uh, uh. No, 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 no. I, in fact, I won't walk up to you and drop down to one knee and ask you to drop down with me and say a prayer. I don't do that. <laughs> but I have a strong faith in the unknown. Sure. It's unknown. Okay. But I believe it's uh, what I grew up with, and I, I believe in uh, what my parents taught me. And I That's think great. I, I think religion is, is a good thing. I, I wish my children had more of it, but I'm sure they'll find their path eventually. Right. Yeah, it, uh, it's such a divisive issue, but it shouldn't be. It could be so beautiful if people just found, stuck with what brought them peace. That's the whole idea, right? Whatever well, that might be. John, it doesn't bring me peace. Because I'm never at peace. Oh, interesting. Okay. I am, I am always agitated about what's next. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's, let's get up and go to work. And if you people don't want to run with me, then go run somewhere else. Because I'm going yeah. forward. Come hell or high water, whether it's good or bad, I'm going with my gut and my instinct, and I've got to work at it every day. And sometimes it drives my poor family crazy. They go, Dad, what's oh, wrong? Oh, boy. But, but, yeah. they, but they love me for it. So Good, good, good. Okay. Um, one more question, going back to that PM Magazine piece. You mentioned that piece that you were like a year prior to that in a Florida jail. Yeah. Are you? Can you? Can you give a little background on that? Fine, I don't care. I've been to jail twice. The first one was delivery of a gram of cocaine in 1979. Okay. I didn't sell it. I didn't do it. I just mm-hmm. gave it because I had availability, and I gave it to a guy that happened to be in trouble with the police. He says, "Give us someone." They gave me. Hmm. Uh, the next jail stint uh, was not that terribly long. It was about 15 years. I had a DUI, and I was fleeing and eluding the police at 50 miles an hour. I'm going, it's not much of a fleeing and eluding, but I was I was really drunk, and I shouldn't have been driving. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm zero tolerant now. I mean, I, I drink yeah. shots yeah. of whiskey every now and then, but I don't drive the car. And it was a new judge in Florida, and the paparazzi was at the courthouse every day. Yeah. He was terrified, so he gave me everything he could give me. So I did 87 days in the county jail where I became trustee immediately because my brother-in-law was a deputy sheriff of the county. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't learn. Well, you know what I did learn? That was way back before. I learned a little bit about computers. They had a computer class in the library. And I oh, was, interesting. Okay. And now I can't live without them. I got three or four of around course. here going constantly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, look, I made my mistakes. I don't well, whine about them. 
I don't apologize. Well, maybe apologetic for some people if I if, if I hurt them or misled them. But no, it happened. I learned and I moved on. You can't no. hang back there, man. You can't make that no. your lifestyle. No, no, no. And it sounds like you're doing great now. I haven't done um, drugs in years. Good, good for you, man. I, in fact, great. If, you know, it's been years. It's been God, fifteen, eighteen years. I wouldn't touch it. Not Excellent. because I'm going. Oh, that's a bad thing. Don't do that. It's right. because it's a waste of time. It's a waste of creative energy. Yeah. And it's a waste of money. I mean, I was buying property for people who live in South America on the lakefront. I didn't even know. And I went, this is not a good thing. And uh, and my kids are relatively drug-free, including Damien. He's a boy who's in that environment all the time. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah, that can't be easy. Well, good for him. You know, God, you know, God bless him. And uh, yeah. uh, my daughter Kim's the only saying when she works for Southwest, I said, baby, don't quit that job. I've been flying <laughs> for the last 15 years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cuts down on expenses, right? Oh, well, that's great. Because you were an airline brat. You went everywhere for nothing. Yeah, I was. Yep, I was. I've been anywhere. Every weekend, pretty much. I just go on a layover with my dad. Somewhere. Here's the thing. Let, let, let me clarify this drug thing. Okay. And whatever your po- choice of poison is, you have. A, I always had a higher priority. You know? Yeah. I know I had to go back and do what I was meant to do. So, I did. And yeah. Unfortunately, there's some people that don't have higher priorities. That's a good um, point. But it just kept beating me in the back of the head. What the hell are you yeah. doing? Come on. Get your act together. Stop this crap. So right. I stopped it. And sure. it, wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, my God, well, i got to make a heavy decision. No, I just went, it's over. It was it. Yeah. But you know, in retrospect, in retrospect, I had I had a pretty good time. Sure, of course you did. That's what drugs are for, right? At I least they're a good time until they're not a good time anymore. Right. At least they said I had a good time. I True. Guess I, yeah, you can't remember probably. No, uh, was I in town? They said I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and someone took pictures, and they're on the internet. Just kidding. Not really. But uh, now that, but now back during the eighties and nineties, that that whole world. Yeah. Whole different than it is now. Totally. Yeah. Every party you go to, there'd be uh, you know bowls full of this and that and. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Wow. Okay. I don't well, go let's, to let's parties talk. anymore. So. Good. Okay. Let's move on from drugs. I want to talk about boobies. So you, well, first of all, <laughs> I had no idea. Although it kind of makes sense uh, that you have a Burt Reynolds connection. Yeah, Burt's an old friend. And, so explain to me how explain to me the Burt Reynolds connection, and then let's talk about your movie career. Oh boy, Burt, what about him? When I was all right, I'll go back to the 001. In 1980, I was doing demo tapes of this first album in Atlanta. Burt was shooting. What was he shooting in a big movie? What was it? Yeah, 80. Would that have been Best Friends, Paternity? No, no, no. This was he was a detective. Oh, uh, Sharky's Machine, maybe? Machine, yeah, he was shooting Sharky's. Okay. And his brother, Jim Reynolds, was a friend of mine through my Dr. Abernathy, who they were friends with, Jim. So they insisted that Jim listen to my music. So I gave Jim this old ratty cassette with me on acoustic guitar singing stuff like The Candle Dancer, Key Largo. Uh-huh. Uh, stuff like that. And every he was Bert's transportation captain on uh, Sharky's Machine. And he'd pick up Bird every morning from the hotel in Bird's Silver Eagle tour bus that he owned. 
and put the damn cassette on and make Bert listen to it. Mm. Well, unbeknownst to me, several years later, I'm in Florida. And I'm still in Atlanta. Was I in Atlanta? I'd gone back to Florida, maybe. And he was shooting a series called B.L. Striker, the ABC Mystery Movie of the Week. Yep. And he was shooting a thing called, um, it was about a jewel thief played by Lonnie Anderson. And this was just before they were splitting up. And he asked Jim to give me a call and see if I would meet with him down in uh, uh, Jupiter, Florida, where he had his ranch. They said, Bertie Higgins is the best Florida songwriter I've ever heard in my life. I went, damn. Wow. So I went down there and met with him. And uh, I met him just prior, though, about two years prior, maybe five years prior. I was go- going on my first tour of Japan, and he was shooting The Man Who Loved Women in Rodeo Drive out here in L.A. Mm-hmm. And Jim took me over to meet him. It was in the middle of the night, and he was just burnt. But at any rate, so Bert, I mean, so I went down and met him at Buck, Buck, um, Barnacle Bill's Seafood Joint at, at lunch or something. <laughs> and he said, "Look, I want you to I want you to write a song for this particular segment. It's taking place in the Bahamas, even though we're using Hutchinson Island as the Bahamas. It's a, and here's my thinking. I said, "What is it, Bert?" He said, "Poor boy, rich girl, Palm Beach." West Palm Beach. You know, it's like two different worlds. West Palm uh-huh. is ghetto. You cross over on the bridge and you're in Palm Beach, which is, you know what that is. Right, right. So I, I co-wrote the song with Bird, actually, in Sunny Limbo, called Palm Beach. Jasmine drifting in the window It's a warm Florida night You're on the island where the rich wind See your mansion line. It's true, I really ain't worth much. And you were born with a silver spoon. And I turn to gold with your sweet touch. Need that old. Said, listen, why don't you come teach my? He had a class down there. He had at the Burt Reynolds Theater. Why don't you come teach my class about cabaret singing, and I'll teach you a little bit about screenwriting. I said, yeah, man, we'll do that. So I went down and taught his class a couple of nights about getting up in front of a crowd and singing. And uh, I'd already started to write scripts, so I'd written one called Through the Eye, which we shot three years ago, and the oh, distributor right. changed the name to The Columbia Connection. It's starring Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Well, I got to, finally after 25 years got to shoot that screenplay after many reruns. <laughs> well, nice. let me all right, let me get through this pretty quick. Okay. When my son Julian was in third grade, he drew a crayon drawing of what he wanted to be when he grew up. He brought it home. He had a beret on with a pair of jogger pants and knee boots and a megaphone sitting on a stool. I said, Julian, what is that? He said, Dad, I'm gonna, I, I want to be a film erector. I said, a what? Hmm. He said, a film erector. I said, you mean director? And he said, yeah. <laughs> At, in third grade, I said, okay, uh-huh. I'm thinking, well, this is BS. You know, he'll never. 
Well, in 18, he won a film a festival in Central Florida for a documentary about World War II reenacting, which he was a World War II reenactor. I said, oh, boy, here we go. So he graduated. Yeah. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, oh, Dad, I want to direct movies. I said, well, can't do it from Tarpon Springs, Florida. I said, tell you what, we'll snatch your little brother out of his sophomore year in high school uh-huh. and we'll move out to Burbank where, you're, where my uh, your sister my daughter was working out of the Burbank Airport. Wow. Here, living the holiday in two weeks here in Burbank. I said, boys, we've got to get out. This is getting expensive. Yeah. So at least this townhouse uh, up toward the mountain, and I'm still in the same townhouse, and I hated it when I moved in. I still hate it. Really? Just oh, old. man. At any rate, so I put him to film school. Two years, he gets out. Aaron graduates Burbank High. I said, what do you want to do, June? He said, well, I want to be a film director. And I said, well, you can fart around and do little films like, you know, with your friends or do little music uh-huh. videos or shorts. I said, well, why don't we raise a few dollars and shoot a feature? I've always wanted to do it anyway. So I produced the first feature. And when I made one phone call and raised 100000 and we shot our first C-note, hundred grand. And wow. It kind of sat on the shelf. It wasn't a great movie. Uh-huh. It's still kind of a true thing out of Griffith Park here in L.A., but... Um, Sat there, sat there. And finally, Entertainment One picked it up two years ago, which are the biggest DVD distributor in the United States. Oh, that's great. And Julian kept saying, Dad, let it go. It's just a learning. I said, no, you don't. never say never. And sure enough, it's all around the world now, and we've shot four since. That's amazing. See, I was looking at, I'm looking right now, actually, at your filmography on IMDb, and there's, a, there's half a dozen things on there. And no offense, I'd never heard of them. So, but it sounds like they're all, they've all been successful for you. I mean, are they successful on the, like, are they playing in theaters? Are they VOD? No, or are they directed DVD? I've, I've never had a theater release. I've always been straight to DVD or Hulu okay. or Netflix. Right. Uh, and, and if you put one of those titles in the Internet, put Higgins in the title, you'll see a zillion places you can buy these films. Okay, okay. And they're doing well. You're making, you, you, you're, Sons, and you, you're making money off these movies. They're pay, are they paying for themselves? Of course. But, but the oh, first, great! First money great. interest out. My just my investors get all the money right off the top sure. until yeah. it's paid off, and then we share in a percentage. They're doing fine. Um, I haven't made a fortune, but we're getting ready to start another one uh, this winter. <laughs> in fact, we're in the middle of one right now. We just left Munich, Germany. Uh, it's Is a it documentary. Lake? Oh. Is that and the documentary that, uh, on, um, what was it, Bill Haley and the Comets or something? Actually, Bill Haley and the Saddlemen. Oh. Before they became the Comets, how they created the sound called rock and roll. In a little okay. honky-tonk in Gloucester City, New Jersey, they were wearing cowboy hats and boots, didn't even have a drummer, and they created rock and roll. And that, wow. to me, was so important. Yeah. So important in history. And uh, so we've been laboring on this for over a year because documentaries take a long time. So we've been everywhere interviewing everyone on this thing, and uh, and now we're in the editing phase right now. Huh. You see, you shoot a feature, you set aside 20, 21 days to shoot the feature. Yeah. You uh, schedule it out, and now I'm the producer, so I know what I'm And I take roles in all my movies, by the way. I said, so I'm going to get in my movies. Maybe, maybe not. Uh-huh. But, uh, schedule it out, shoot it in 21 days. Shoot the script, which is around 90 pages. Uh-huh. And you cut it while you're going. We we send a uh, hard drive to our editor every night with the day's footage. He'll cut right. it. And when you're done, you you do some color correcting. 
You'll work on the sound, the dialogue, make sure it's clear. Add music, which I'd already been working on. And within three months, you got a movie out on the on the market, providing you find a distributor. That's Documentary amazing. been going for years. Yeah, I can imagine. We just left Memphis three weeks ago interviewing uh, Klein, who was Elvis's best friend, who was a number one DJ in, at Graceland. We went over there. We went to uh, Sun Studios, went to the whole gambit, and talked to a lot of people. And um, well, so we're still hard at it, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's great! Wow. So you, but in I the mean, middle of it, just... I, in the middle of it, I've delivered three albums in the last fourteen. Yeah, and I'm about burnt. I bet you are. Good lord! But see, this is. Are you? I mean, we were talking about being blessed. I mean, you know this. You're in a position where you can do almost whatever you want creatively, and it's working for you. You know, there's enough of an interest there to keep releasing music, keep making movies. There's enough profit or interest to, that allows you to feel motivated, like your tank's never empty. You know, there's never been. It doesn't sound like there's ever a question of should I keep going? Is it worth the trouble? You're in an enviable position to keep doing whatever you want. There's a market for you. It's amazing to me. I mean, of course, that I worked amazing. I worked on these three CDs over the last 12, 14 months. Got them released, and still working on the documentary. And uh, I'm about to finish up this Grammy deal, which is so important to me. I've never worked harder in my life on a project. And uh, hopefully we'll get a nomination out, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. My, well, idea, my idea is to go in and finish the documentary, find a distribution deal, and then I'm starting a new film in the winter. I'm doing another Christmas movie. Wow. My last one was Christmas in Hollywood, which is a cute yeah, movie. Yeah, I saw cute that. Movie. I didn't and see the movie. I saw that you did it. And that's available everywhere. Okay. Hulu just added it last month. I couldn't believe they added it. I went, wow, that's great. Wow. Good for you. Well, you know what, though? you got to stay at it. You just can't go. That's it. What am I going to do? Go play golf? (laughs) Go play golf? Do you golf? I I play a lot of golf for charity tournaments, but Uh it's not something I could do, you know, three or four times a week. I'd blow my brains out. It's not my. It's not in my DNA, so to speak. Don't I wonder if you could go back and be a ventriloquist. <laughs> there might be money in ventriloquism. What do you? Think? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm it's sure. not the direction I'm going in. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. But this album I've just done called "Dancing with the Devil" uh, is now I'm always wanted to do. It's an acoustic project. Good, cool. But, well, that's great. I think that's pretty much everything I uh, I had to ask you. I do have one question. I was listening to your live album. It looks like that just came out recently, too. Bertie Higgins live at Center Stage Atlanta. Right. And the first song is Key Largo. Right. And I wonder, do you kick off your shows with Key Largo? It depends on the audience. Huh. Like if a lot, we play a, a gig that a lot of, not a lot of people know who I am. Uh, I think well, of that song. That's kind of thin because they wouldn't be there if they didn't know who I was. Yeah. I'll I'll probably open with something like a Fanfare and then come out and do Montego Bay. Okay. And then say, and here's one you might remember, and we'll do Key Largo. And then we do okay. it again. Then we do it again at the end of the show. I wondered about that. Yeah. Because I thought that's a pretty ballsy move. You must be bigger than I even think you are, if you can play the biggest hit that most people know you for first, and still have an hour and a half, two hours worth of material to burn through without annoying anybody. That's that's a ballsy <laughs> move. 
You know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you, even though my fans are not superstar-type fan base, my fans are just absolutely devoted to the music. I can believe it. They really, really like yeah. you. And they say, and your voice, I think my voice sucks. No. Your voice has this passion in it. We just, I don't know. Man. Yeah. And we look yeah. out across the audience and, you know, 75% of the people out there are girls. I'm going, wait a minute, what's going on? <laughs> So what would I do if I quit? Sit out on the porch? Well, I go out on the yeah. porch things, and I pour a glass of uh, a drink of Crown Royal, and I watch the cars go by. Then I have dinner. I do it every day. And then I get yeah. up and I watch uh, Family Feud, and I watch, uh, and then I get into the movies at night. I really love movies. Do you still watch all old movies, black and white? I mean, that's that's the romantic version of Bertie Higgins, right, that you're still watching Bogey and Bacall movies. Well, if there, if it's a good black and white, like Blackboard Jungle. Ah, good one, yeah. Amazing thing i got to tell you. This has nothing to do with me, but uh, maybe. Last uh, December and January, we toured China. We did ten, 10 concerts all over the country. And I had this beautiful little Chinese girl singing background with me who was born in Auckland, New Zealand. She's a New Zealander, but living in L.A. And I needed to add a third background singer. And she said, I can do it. Beautiful girl. Angela Zhao is her name. Okay. So I took her to China with me, my with my other two background singer girls. For some reason, these Chinese won three chicks up there that looked great. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, so she did the tour. We had a great time. Then she translated Christmas in Hollywood for me, the screenplay in the Mandarin. Well, wow. I was watching television three nights ago. You're going to love stuff like this. Just knock me out. Uh-huh. I only watched one series on TV. It's called... Hell on Wheels. Uh huh. It's about building the railway across the West in the late 1800s. Yeah. Anson Mount plays the lead guy. Um, Bohannon's his name. Uh-huh. It is a wonderful, wonderful series. I've never seen it. Always wanted to check it out. Do it. I will. Go down and re- buy the three DVDs of season one, two, and three, and I bet when you get rolling, you won't be able to break away from it. Okay, good. Anson- oh, I like that recommendation. I'll do it. Anson Mount is an actor, and a good-looking yeah. man is so impressive. I mean, if I mean, if I were gay, I'd be beaten on his door. The guy is just a wonderful actor. And uh, Colm Meany is a is a British actor. You recognize him when you see him. Uh huh. I know who that is. Yeah. Right. He's the antagonist, but it's really good. So I'm watching Wednesday night, first show of the season, and this little boy looks like a little boy, a teenager, Chinese. His father is the foreman who hired all the Chinese coolies and brought them over to build the railroad. You know, because a lot of Chinese built the railroad west. Uh-huh, right. And ex-slaves built them as well. All of a sudden, I looked at this little actress, and it's Angela Jean. No way. I fell out of the bed. <laughs> so she's got a regular spot all season on Hell on Wheels. Oh, your favorite show. There she is. My only show I watched, so I called up Angela. Uh, she was in Calgary at the airport where they've been shooting up there in the snow. And she called me back. I said, how'd you get that, that gig? I mean, she's got an agent in uh, Auckland. She said, I read about a cold call in New York for this series for a Chinese person who spoke Mandarin, Cantonese, and English. And I got on a plane and went cold calling and won it. I said, you got fucked. I love wow. that. I love wow. that shit. Great. Yeah. Couldn't have couldn't have happened to a nicer person. 
Oh, that's great. Crazy. The one your one show and you know somebody who's on there. That's amazing. And Beverly said, That looks like Angela. Even sounds like Angela. And I know what's gonna happen. She's gonna bust out of this little boy gig. Uh uh-huh. uh Anson Mount's gonna discover that it's a girl. And she's yeah. gonna flower because she's beautiful. Look up oh, wow. Angela Z H A U on IMDB and take a look at this girl. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. All, All right, well. John. Let me say one thing to your audience. Go ahead. You can do it. Whatever <laughs> the hell you want to do, you can do it. Just see it. Believe it. Have the burn for it. And the door will open. Just be aware when it's going to open and walk through. You can have it. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's all That's that's all for cowards and sissies. Go after it. Get it by the ass. You can do this. Believe you can do it. You know, to quote the Bible, which I'm not being a Bible thumper. Sure. But when Jesus rode into uh, Jerusalem on the back of the ass on what we call Palm Sunday, he was hungry. There was a fig tree and he cursed it. Coming back out, the fig tree had withered up and died. And that was only three days later. One of the disciples says, uh, Master, how did you do that? And Christ told him, he said, if you can only believe, you can tell yonder mountain to lift up and throw itself into the sea, and it will do what you tell it to do. Yeah. The key to it is believe. Do not doubt. If you doubt, you're dead. Don't yeah. let anyone cause doubt. You can do it. You can move that mountain. That's a beautiful message, and I really appreciate that, Bertie. Consider you're a good like man. I move the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing so, it. So keep your chins up. Love each other. Be kind to each other. Because whoever you beat up on the way up, you're going to have to meet on the way down. <laughs> All right, Bertie. Thank you so much for talking to me. My The nine-year-old me is just freaking out right now. I've been a fan for a long time, and I'm so grateful you gave me some time. City was such a lonely place to be. Hustle all day and dream of the islands and sea. Millions of girls, but none of them seemed right for me. Till you came along and you touched me and set me. All right, there you have it, Bertie Higgins. That guy's funny, right? I love that speech at the end. Nobody does that. That was like all heart, you know? And hearing the ups and downs, you know, the drug issues, which weren't big, but they were enough to just sort of blot his record a little bit. And he's obviously made the efforts to distance himself from that kind of a thing. And somebody get this guy a Grammy nomination, right? He clearly wants one and feels he deserves one. He probably does. So anyway, I'm really happy for him. It's so interesting to me. He was so specific about the amount of money he would make when he plays the Asian market and how often. And his son being Diesel Boy, would you have ever, ever guessed that? I would not. Anyway, a lot of interesting tidbits of information in this one. Crazy. 
All right, next week we have a big one for me anyway. We're talking to Dr. Robert, lead singer of the Blow Monkeys. Now the Blow Monkeys only had one hit in the States and it was in 1987, I believe, Digging Your Scene. But he has had a long career for 30 years, uh, primarily in Europe. And it's big for me because he, the Blow Monkeys were and are still one of my very favorite bands. I have everything he's ever put out. So this was a huge one for me to have him talk to me. Hope you join us. Aaron Syret and I are breaking in a new producer for this one. So big thanks to Jan Makevich for uh, producing this episode. We're teaching him the ropes. He's uh, probably going to be joining us from now on, producing some episodes here and there. So big thanks to Jan. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Come back next week. We'll talk to you later. Guess it was only a dream. I hear the city outside. But I look at you sleeping. And honey, now I realize that anywhere with you is paradise.